This morning, we're going to continue our series between two worlds. You know, it's often it's just difficult to not be. And we talked about this being a citizen of this world, to not be a citizen um, of this world, but be a citizen of heaven. It's difficult to be a citizen of heaven, but live in this world, but not become like this world to love the world in which we live. We want to love people. We want to we want to get surround people with our love. We want to encourage them. We want to support them. We want to love the people in this world that God has put in in, in our lives. But we don't want to be like this world. The Bible says that we want to be that we should be set apart. We talked about being sanctified, being set apart. But that's often difficult when you live in a world, but you're not a citizen of the world. You're a citizen of heaven. And I recognize that in first Peter, chapter two, verses one through three, this challenge continues. He says, therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, of all deceit, hypocrisy, envy and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Peter here is writing to Christians and having told them in chapter one that they need to be we need to be born again through the word of God, through the presence of God in our lives. He issues three commands. He now issues three commands to believers. Now, again, as we're going through this, he's talking to believers here. He's not talking to unbelievers. He's not talking to those who don't know Christ. He's talking to us. This this sermon is really for people who understand who Christ is. Obviously, everyone can apply this to their lives. But but Peter is pointing out and directly um, looking at us as believers here. So if if you want to grow spiritually, he's saying if you want spiritual growth in your life, there are three things he says that you need to do. First, he says, rid yourselves in verse one, rid yourselves. Get rid of ridding yourself is the image of taking off an old rag or garment that you're wearing something from your old life, something from the way you lived once before. He says, rid yourself, take that off and then put on a new garment, put on a new life. So, again, talk of sanctification set apart this. Take this off, put this on. Take one off, put another on. So rid yourself. Believers are to take off, to rid themselves of first all malice. Okay, all malice, he says. So the first thing he says is rid yourselves, number one. And then he says what? So he's saying, what should we rid ourselves of? He says all malice. Malice is wickedness. Wickedness has to do with basically any way the world lives. Those outside of Christ, the way they live their lives. Those who don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and how they live their lives. Believers are to put off malice. They are to put off wickedness. They are not to desire to live the way the world lives. This is something we need to set apart. We are set apart for God. And so Peter is saying, if you're set apart for God, then you shouldn't have the desire to live the way the world live. God calls believers to a higher standards. He calls us not to be conformed to the pattern of this world, to what the world would normally do, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So he's saying, hey, don't go along with the pattern. Don't go along with the themes. Don't go along with this world. 
This is this. You know, we we live in a we live a biblical worldview. The worldview of of this world is different than the worldview of the word of God. And he's saying you shouldn't have the same desires or try to live like the world does. We should be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And my question this morning, one of my questions is you got to ask yourself, are, are you pretty much living like your unsaved friends and neighbors or are you living uh, differently? Is, is there a difference in your life? And what would that difference be? I talked about it a couple of weeks ago. I said if you were put on trial and, con- and, and accused of being a Christian, could they convict you? If they looked at your life and followed you around and looked the way you acted and the way you talked and the way, could you be con- would you be convicted in the court of law for being a Christian? That's what Peter's saying. We need to be different. Those who are born again are called to be set apart. They are called to be different. They are called to put off malice, to put off wickedness, and to, and to, and to be changed from the pattern of this world, to of being like this world. We need to live lives that strive to be and conform to the image of Jesus Christ, to honor Jesus Christ above everything else. He is the most important thing in our lives. This is what Peter is saying. He's the most important person in our lives. He's the most important experience of our lives. He is everything. God wants us to live lives that turn away from the world and its temptations and to live lives that are instead wholeheartedly and completely committed and devoted to God. This is what Peter is saying here. And I'll tell you something, guys, this is I've thought about this a lot. And this this coming fall, I'm really looking forward to this in the next series we're going into next two series we're going into. But here's the thing. This is only going to get more difficult. And I hate to break the bad news, but this is this this what I'm talking about is only going to get more difficult. Knowing God's word is your only defense you can come here on Sunday morning and we'll read the word of God and that's good. But this is only going to last for maybe 40 minutes, 30 or 40 minutes. OK, it's not going to be enough. To, this is coming on Sunday morning is not going to be enough to help you to accomplish what God wants you to accomplish in your own life. I'm not talking about going out and doing anything. I'm talking about being who you are as a person, a follower of Jesus Christ. This is only going to get more difficult. And the only defense, again, is the word of God, because we live in an age where many churches care more about being culturally relevant than they do biblically obedient. And it's going to happen more and more. The theology of our churches is kind of going astray. The idea that if I am, if somehow I'm, I'm bigger, or I'm more famous or I'm something or whatever, God is blessing me. That's not true. Somehow, if I have more than you, God likes me more. He's bl- that's not true. Our theology is off here and spilling down all all across the country, all across the world. And it's making a mess of things. And if you don't know the word of God, it's going to be very difficult for you as the world continues to press in on us to overcome. And again, your only defense is going to be knowing the word of God, understanding the word of God. I was talking. Let me give you an example. I was talking to a few people when I got back from vacation and they were telling me they're having a conversation with a few uh, staff people from another church. 
And the conversation was basically on what their favorite drink was, alcoholic beverage. What was their favorite alcoholic beverage? And one staff person's drink of choice always left him what his colleague said was poop-faced, but he didn't use the word poop. He used the S word. So we're talking to leaders, okay, of the church, not, not you know, people going to the church. I'm talking about pastors and staff people of the church talking about what their favorite alcoholic beverage is and how one alcoholic beverage this guy likes to drink always leaves him faced. I, 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 have, a, I, wanna, I have a few issues just want I want to bring up to you. OK, I, and the reason I'm bringing this up is because at the end of the day, I love you and you love me. Hopefully. OK, I know I love you. OK, and I'm, I'm sure that most of you in here love me. All right. <laughs> Can't speak for everyone, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I think I told you this once before. I was talking to my mom and my, I was saying, well, you know, she was saying, what's going on? Well, I'm having a little trouble. Well, why are you having a little trouble? All these people, they're not very happy. They say, what do you mean they're not happy? I said, well, some people, mom, they don't, they don't particularly like me. She goes, what? what? <laughs> she said, Jeffrey, who could not like you? I said, mom, I have no idea. I don't know. She said, what are their, who, what are their names? I said, I'm not giving names. She goes on Facebook. <laughs> How can they not like you? <laughs> I have no idea, Mom. <laughs> here, 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 here are my issues, okay, with, with this whole scenario. My issues are Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, where it clearly says, do not get drunk on wine. Okay, is there anything wrong with having a glass of wine at dinner? No one start accusing me of being legalistic. That's not what I'm talking about. You all know me. I've never said that from the pulpit, that it's wrong to have a glass of wine or whatever else, okay? But it says, do not get drunk. There's the key point on wine. Hard liquor talks about hard drink. Okay, wine, a hard drink for that is debauchery. Look up the word debauchery. Okay, but be filled with the spirit. Be filled with the spirit, but be filled with the spirit. Don't be this. Be this. Oh, my goodness. Wait a second. I'm supposed to be set apart. Don't do this. Instead, be filled with the spirit. Don't be filled to the point where you are blank faced. Okay. And talk about it that way. But don't be this. Be this. So this is not what I'm sharing with you is is the understatement of my opinion. This isn't Jeff Greer's opinion. This is absolute biblical fact. What I'm sharing with you. Number two, Ephesians 429 says, do not let any wholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Listen, how is talking about getting drunk so drunk that you are blank faced beneficial to those who are listening? I love you. I'd love to hang out with you, whatever. But, you know, I take you out. And we go out and I get a little whatever faced with you because it'll make us closer. We'll, we'll be tied. To, uh, you know, you, you know what? You'll think I'm cooler. You'll think I'm more whatever. You'll think I'm more relevant pastor, whatever the case may be. You may invite five friends to church. because You think I'm so relevant that I don't mind coming out with you and getting whatever faced. But I can't, according to the word of God. We all we all say things we shouldn't say. Anybody raise your hand if you ever said anything you shouldn't have said. Raise your hand. Everybody raise your hand. Okay, right. <laughs> I don't want to see anybody not raising their hand. We all do things we should. Anybody ever done things they shouldn't done? Every in the last week, put your hand up. Right, right. That's exactly right. We all do things we shouldn't do. We all say things we shouldn't say. I'll put both hands up. Okay, admit it. Again, I'm not being legalistic here. 
But there, the problem is, the problem is not doing things you shouldn't do and saying things you shouldn't say. The problem is being comfortable in a situation where you are getting smashed, whatever word you want to use, using foul language to describe it in a public place and thinking that's okay spiritually to do. That that is, a, that is an okay Christian response and there's nothing wrong with speaking that way or acting that way. There's the problem. I'm not, I'm not beating up on people because they make mistakes. Because I'd have to be the first one to raise my hand. I make mistakes. I say the wrong things. I do the wrong things. But it's when you get... This is what Peter is coming after here. It's, it's when your language and your behavior becomes, in your mind, acceptable Christian behavior. That's the issue. That's the issue. When you don't think that what you're doing or what you're saying is any problem whatsoever. Sanctified. Set apart for God. Set apart. Be holy as I am holy. That's what we're talking about here. That's what God is talking about here. It's what Peter calls a hypocrite. He uses the word hypocrite. Okay? A hypocrite, by, I mean, just the biblical definition of a hypocrite is it means stage acting. That's exactly what it really means. That's where it came from, the hypocrite. Stage acting. You get on stage and you act like someone that you're not. One commentary put it this way. It said, for what they claim to be, they really are not. They are just acting a role. That's what he's talking about. We need to be more. I'm sorry. I, 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 I write this as I go through the commentary, as I read this and I write it. And sometimes I'm, I'm hesitant. I'm thinking to myself, man, this is not going to go over well in this culture. This is not going to go over well. People are not going to like this. But I don't know what else to do. I mean, I'm honestly, I'm not trying to. I'm not saying I watered it down. But honestly, if Peter showed up at church and said this, you read James, you read Peter, you read the Bible. If they showed up and preached this sermon, they went into one of our churches in our culture today and they all showed up at different churches and started preaching, they'd empty the place out. Because they're not going to say things that you want to hear. They're not going to tickle your ears. Because this is real stuff. This isn't, this isn't like, oh, let's go to church and this is, this is my club. They're talking about a living God. They're talking about a resurrected Jesus Christ and the power of Christ in your life. They're talking, about, they're talking about theology. They're talking about truth. Truth that can transform your life. And they never water it down. I love Peter because he doesn't water it down. He gets straight to the point. And why? Because if we don't do what he's asking us to do, the alternative is, I'm telling you, you walk around, you want to get whatever faced all the time, and you're going to say what you want. These kinds of things bring misery and suffering into your life, whether you realize it or not, through your children watching how you behave and then how they grow up and the struggle you're going to face when, when they turn around and say, well, hey, what's wrong with me doing this for you? I mean, it just it just it's just like a taking a pebble and throwing a pond just keeps on going. The ripples just keep on going. And God knows that. And he's telling us, here's how I want you to live. Here's how I want you to live. And he's saying, he says also in all deceit, rid yourselves of all deceit. Deceit is trying to put one over on someone else for your own your own benefit, your own gain. So you're deceitful. You're trying to put someone over on something for your own profit or your own gain. You're trying to deceive someone so that 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 so that ends up well for you. So you figure whether it's at work, whether it's at home in relation, doesn't matter. It's being deceitful. How do I manipulate the other person so it works out to my benefit? And Peter's saying, no, none of that. None of that. 
Think of the other person before you think of yourself. It means that you, if, if we behave with deceit, it means that we're not honest. We're not forthright. It said, he's basically saying we don't have integrity. And that's something you should be ridding yourself, taking off that, what you used to be, and putting on the new person that you should be. Take that deceit off. Don't behave that way with each other. He also says envy. Envy is wanting something that someone else has. We all pretty much know what that means. It means someone else has something and you want that. And if you think about this list, if, if, if you could get rid of these things, if you could get rid of these things, it would blow people's minds. If you could just not envy, think about that. I thought about it in my own life. If I could just not envy, if I could kind of try my best to eliminate that, take that off, keep taking it off because it keeps trying to come back. You ever notice that? You take something off and kind of next day you wake up and thought, wait, wait a second, I thought I took that off. You take it off, it keeps coming back. Well, you keep taking it off. If you could eliminate envy from your life, it would revolutionize your whole entire life, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? If you can pull off what he's saying here, it would revolutionize your entire life. It would get, listen, you would have less pressure. You would have less worry. You would have less stress. You would have less depression. You would have less anger. You have less and less and less of all those things and more. It goes on and on and on. If you could do that, people would be asking you, how do you live? How do you live your life that way? How have you spiritually, here's another one, wow, can't we, this is difficult. How do you spiritually discipline yourself to the point where you don't have that envy? Because people don't want to be that way for the most part many times. They just can't, their, their emotions and their sinful nature just drag them into these things. How do you discipline yourself? If you could do these things, people would want to be like you. They would say, you, you, there's something di- set apart. There's something different about you that I want. And people would come to know Christ. Why is Peter saying this? Because he wants to, because he's a, he's a cosmic, he's just a killjoy. Peter is a killjoy. He wants us to walk around and not have any fun whatsoever. He just wants everyone to, he's like, oh, he's a legalist. That's not what he is. He's saying, why is this important? Because it leads other people into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Why, why yesterday during a memorial service at the church, can we celebrate someone's life? Can we have hope? Why? Because of Jesus Christ. And every single person in this room should be reaching out with love to those around them to give them an opportunity to have the same hope that you have, to celebrate that same kind of life. That's what Peter is saying here. He continues that all slander. Slander is literally talking a person down. Talking a person down. It's talking about a person behind their back in such a way that it puts that person down. It's basically the same as it's like gossip. It's like gossip. Most people know that gossip is wrong, right? But most people also gossip. If you if you if you you polled everybody in the church right now, most people in the church, except for maybe one or two people, I don't know, would say gossip's wrong. But the thing is, we continue to gossip. Peter says that's not what a truly born again person should should do. That's not how we should live our lives. Again, are we going to be perfect in that area? No. Are we going to struggle in that area? Yes. But we have one who goes to the father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, who's the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for ours, but also the sins of the whole world. Okay, so I am a person who believes in grace. I'm a person who gossips sometimes. I'm a person who asks forgiveness sometimes. So, again, we're not being legalistic. We're just talking about reality. We all sometimes gossip. And what Peter is saying is, if you're born again, I want you to take that off. 
comes back, take it off again, come take it off, take it off. Over a period of time in spiritual discipline, you will no longer be a person who gossips on a regular basis. You will no longer be a person who envies on a regular basis. You will no longer be this type of person. This will not be who you are. You will be this person. And sometimes your sinful nature will come out. But most of the time, you will live your life in such a way that you honor Jesus Christ. He says, rid yourself of malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Cast it off. Cast it off like it's an old garment. Get rid of it. Get it off like it. Because if you don't cast this off like an old garment, if you don't get rid of this old stuff, then it's going to have it's going to infect, if you will, your Christian life. It will have an infection in your Christian life. You need to you need to get rid of these kinds of things because you cannot grow spiritually in your life if these sins are so blatant. If they're so blatantly a part of who you are. So he said you need to rid yourselves of those things if you want to be spiritually mature in your faith. If you want to grow closer, if you want to grow spiritually, then those are some things that you need to get rid of in your faith. You need to let those things go. Listen, every one of these sins, like I said before, have consequences. All sin has consequences. No, there is no sin without consequences. If you continue in these kinds of behaviors, they will ruin your life in so many different areas. Ruin your life, not just ruin the person you're gossiping about. They'll ruin your life. It will change who you are. The Bible says that we have to be we are to be born again. And if you can if you can say, listen, this is a good part, too. If you can say that Jesus Christ, if you can say, yes, I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that you have the power to get rid of these things. You have the power to get rid of them. The second thing he says to do is to crave, okay, to crave. He says in verse two, and like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk. If you want to grow, you should you should not only get rid of. Okay, if you if you want to grow spiritually, you should not only get rid of this, but then you should crave something else. So he says, get rid of this and crave this. I want this off your plate. I want you to crave this. The word translated crave in scripture is also found in Psalm 42 when it says, and you've heard this song, many of you read this psalm, this psalm and, and heard this song, as the deer pans for water, so my soul pans for you, oh God. It's this, it's this you know, have you ever been so thirsty? I mean, you're so thirsty, you just, you know, you're in a car and you've been a long drive or you've been running or you've been working out and you're just, I mean, the thirst or you've been on a mission trip and they forgot to bring the water and I'm telling you, you are just panting, you just need that water. Our third grandchild Eleanor Winnie I love that name Eleanor Winnie loves milk okay she loves milk is there a picture we have a picture of her she loves milk you see if if you get a picture of her legs it just rolls I mean you pick her up she's like the Pillsbury little doble girl you know what I'm saying it's just rolls because she craves milk all the time she wants to eat all the time. She's like, milk, milk, milk. Her, her, two brother, her brother and sister told me, I, I was going to give her, I was thinking, I was just teasing. I said, oh, I'll give her a piece of chocolate. No, no. She drinks milk and she eats milk. That's it. <laughs> That's what they told me. She drinks milk and she eats milk. That is it. And she just loves it. And Peter says, That's the kind of, that's the kind of desire that we should have for God. Okay, that's the kind of desire that we should have for God. See, for the baby, it's a life and death situation here. But for us, sometimes it's not. Sometimes in our lives, we don't have 
for, you know, they're, they're ups and downs. And sometimes we don't have that passion. We don't, you know, we don't have that passion uh, for, for craving after God, for craving that pure spiritual milk. And, and sometimes it's just really, right, it's difficult, right? We go through ups and downs and it becomes, it's a little difficult. It's, it's possible for us to go through seasons of our lives where we're a little dry, a little parched in our spiritual walk. We're not craving after that pure spiritual milk. We're not reading the word of God. We're not in our, our prayer life is weak. Um, maybe we're angry with God for some reason. Maybe something happened. Maybe it's, you're just exhausted. Maybe your life is just so busy at this point and you've gotten out of the habit, whatever else, but you, you, you don't have that craving. Here's the deal. Our souls need that pure spiritual milk as much as Eleanor Winnie needs it to survive. That's the thing. That's what you have to understand. Your, your soul and my soul, our spirits, our souls, who we are as Christians, we need that pure spiritual milk as much as a newborn baby needs that milk. And that's why Peter commands us to crave, not just assume that we will crave. This is important. He, it's a command to crave. The verb tense of that word crave is in the imperative Okay, so here's the deal. It's not the description of the state of the Christian heart. He's not saying if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, your heart is always craving. You just that's this. Once you accept Christ, you always crave. That's the end of the story. So if you're not always craving, you're not a Christian. That's not what he's saying. That's not that's not what he's saying here. It's not. But it's also not a recommendation by Peter here or a suggestion. It's a command. And I think what Peter's saying here is that he wants us to crave, saying crave, crave, read the word of God, have a passion for God. Keep pushing, because when you do that, as you continue to read the word of God, you want to read it more. If you start a really good book, honestly, I started some really good books on vacation and I couldn't put them down. I wanted I wanted to finish the book. When you start to read and when you start to see what God can do in your life through the reading of his word, you crave it more. You want it more. You want more intimacy with God. You want to get closer to God. You desire that. And that's what Peter's saying. He's saying you need to crave. He says you need to crave. You need to want. You need to yearn for and long for pure spiritual milk like a newborn infant. And the question again this morning is, do we have that yearning for God? Do we have that craving for God? Do we have that desire for God? The one who is truly born again, Peter says, will have that. He says they will long for the presence of the Lord in their lives. They will long for the word of God in their lives to to know the word of God and to get to know God better in their lives. They want that. It's something that a born again believer over the long haul. Okay, there will be ups and downs. There'll be ebbs and flows. But over the long haul, that person will desire to have an intimate, personal relationship and connection with God. So the question is, is there a learning, a yearning in your soul? Is there this is there this personal yearning in your soul, this longing in your soul? And if not, guys, here's the thing. If I say, is there a yearning, a desire in your heart, and everything in your soul? And you say, you know, well, I'm not really sure. Then here's my question. Does it bother you? That's important. Is there a yearning in your soul to know God? And when you when you go off the beaten path, when you haven't read your Bible in a long time, you you know, eh, whatever, and you're you're not you're not in a prayer life and you're doing some things you really maybe shouldn't be doing. And, you know, the language is coming back and those old habits and patterns. Does it bother you? That's important. 
because the Holy, if the Holy Spirit is living in you and we, and we all get to those points sometimes, does it convict you? See, here's the thing. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you feel condemned, that's always of Satan. Okay? The Holy Spirit convicts you. A Christian feels convicted, and when they feel convicted, they respond with repentance. When you repent, God forgives you through Christ, and you move on. That's as simple as that. If you feel condemned, that's not from the Holy Spirit. If you feel convicted, it is from the Holy Spirit. So my question is, when you're not feeling that way, that yearning, that longing, does it bother you? Do you sit back sometimes and go, man, I shouldn't, this is really, I know I shouldn't be. If that's, if you do, good, that's good, that's good. That shows the Holy Spirit is kind of prompting you and convicting you and wanting you to move closer to him. That's what's great about the Christian life. It's not about condemnation. It's not about guilt-ridden feelings and horrible regret. It's about people who make mistakes, who are trying to be set apart, who are trying to be sanctified, set apart for God, and, and stumble along the way. But we kind of stumble forward, try to stumble forward. And if we are stumbling forward and you're, you know, and you're not being, you're not where you want to be this morning, but you know it and you're not feeling good about it, that's good. That shows the Holy Spirit is convicting you. Don't walk out of here feeling all guilty and beat up. Just react to it. Ask God to forgive you. God will forgive you. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and purify us from all unrighteousness, right? And we can move forward in our walk with him. But if you feel no longing at all, if you feel no longing and no desire and whatever, you, you some one day in some church, you raise your hand, you click your heels together three times, you walk down the aisle and you know what I mean? Whatever. I'm serious. No. And but and, and but since then, you haven't really whatever. Um, and there's no there's no longing and there's no concern about the longing at all. It doesn't bother you whatsoever. Then you have other questions you need to answer. Let me read you something from 2 Corinthians 13, 5. It says this. Examine yourselves. It doesn't tell me to examine you. It tells you to examine you and me to examine me. Examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. How do you test yourself? You test yourself by the word of God, not by everybody else around you, not by what people say. You test yourself by the word of God. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. I used to get in trouble as a youth pastor all the time for, for teaching this because kids would come back and say, Mom, Dad, I'm not really sure where I am spiritually. And the parents would be furious at me that I somehow confused their children. I didn't confuse their children at all. I asked the question, if you don't want to walk with Jesus, if you could care less about reading the word of God, if you have no desire to have an intimate relationship with God, if you don't want to pray, if whatever, and it's been that way for years, then I'm just asking you a question. Where are you spiritually? That is a healthy question, because then you can go into your own heart and examine your own heart and ask yourself some of the deeper questions. Where am I spiritually, God, and how can I get closer to you? The Christian faith, my friends, is about having a passion for God, a longing to be with him and to be like him. It is living dynamically all the time. No, that's what I keep saying. We struggle. We have our ups and downs. Not all the time, but it should be a part of our every it should be a part of our lives and who we are. If we are if we are connected, if you are connected to the branch, to the to the to the tree. okay. if you are connected to the root, then the branches will bear fruit over time. Right. We will bear fruit. If we're connected to Christ, we will bear fruit. If you're a 10 year old Christian and you bear no fruit at all. 
then all I'm saying is, forget that. All the Bible is saying is that you need to ask yourself some questions. I would rather you be a little frustrated at what I'm saying and deal with this question than ignore it for the rest of your life and pass on without ever asking the question. There's a lot of indifference and lukewarmness in the 21st century church, and God is seeming to get our leftovers. And this is important for us to address in, in, in our Christian culture. It really is. This is real important. And, and, you, and some of you know it. You see the signs. You, you see what's happening in our own culture. In our own world, this world's getting smaller. And you're watching what's happening in the culture around the world. And you're seeing what's happening to, in today's Christian, Christian culture. And this is important for us to address because the time is coming when only those churches that are strong and that are filled with people who are vibrant and committed followers of Jesus Christ, only those churches will survive the plunge into spiritual mediocrity. You want, you want, me, to, you want me to give you an example? Look at Europe. Go back a hundred years and look at Europe. The revivals that came out of Europe. The, the passion that they had for Christ in Europe. Now look at it. There's, if you one two percent of people are one percent are true followers of Jesus Christ, a percentage of them would call themselves religious or Christian because they were not something else. But they're spiritually been they've been spiritually bankrupt. Peter is saying, just like newborn babies, we need to long, we need to long and yearn for our mom's milk of you. We need to crave the word of God and long to be with God. We need to have a passion for Jesus Christ. We need to want him and desire him more than anything else because he is our life. Remember, the church is not an organization. The church is an organism, a living organism made up of people called out of the world to have a passion for Jesus. Jesus Christ called out of the world, set apart from to have a passion for Jesus Christ. And when we stop having a passion for Jesus Christ in this country, all we'll have is old buildings because the church isn't a building. The church is an organism. It's a group of people, a living organ with Christ as the head and we are the body. And when that body stops having a passion for Jesus Christ, stops being, starts, stops craving the word of God and knowing the word of God and understanding the word of God, when that stops happening, all we'll be left with is like many parts of the world, old buildings that you walk through and go, wow, look at that architecture. Wow, isn't that pretty? The church is dead. It's a, it's like a shell. There's no life. There's no blood. There's nothing that makes it a body of Christ. And when we stop having that passion for Christ, that, my friends, is where we will go. Third, Peter tells us to grow up. He says, grow up. Grow up in your spiritual walk. Grow up in your salvation. First Peter 2, 2 tells us to grow up in your salvation. He says, when you get rid of, when you get rid of all these things, the malice and all, when you get rid of that, and when you crave pure spiritual meal, crave the word of God, crave and desire to, be, to want to be in the presence of God, when you have those things, when you have a passion for Jesus Christ, then he says, then you will, then you will grow up in your salvation. When you have those things, then you will grow up in your salvation. Then you will grow up in your, in, your, in, your, in your walk with Christ. When you're not growing spiritually, if you're not growing up in your salvation, you are spiritually dying. That's what he's saying. 
If you're not growing up in your salvation, you're spiritually dying. This isn't, we don't come here on Sunday mornings to talk about religion and to go through rituals and to, because this is a cool club and, you know, it's, it's better than the other club. I like it better than that other thing. This is about a living God who has called us out to be his representatives in this world. And I'm telling you, the lack of understanding when it comes to the word of God, the bad theology that is being perpetrated upon us, even in our, in our Christian circles, it's killing us. It's killing us. We wonder why things are just rapidly declining and why, why you can't tell the difference sometimes between a person who says, oh yeah, I'm a, I'm a Christian, and and then you go, well, 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 and you, well, you don't judge. You don't want to judge. You don't want to. You don't want to. You don't want to call anything. It's, hey, you know, live and let live. You wonder why you're frustrated or watching all these things happen. This is why. Because we've watered down the gospel. Pastors are afraid to tell the truth because they'll won't have as many people coming. I've come to the conclusion that I can. We can do more in this church. We can accomplish more with a remnant of people who truly, truly have a passionate relationship with Jesus Christ than a church a hundred times our size. Do I want this church to grow? I want every seat filled. I want to go to four services. I think we should explode. I think we have the coolest church. I think we're doing dynamic things. That's all wonderful. But I, don't, I am not going to fill these seats by compromising the word of God by tickling people's ears and telling people what they want to hear and, you know, being being so we are so culturally relevant. It's unbelievable with our creativity, sinful, sacred, sacred, sacred. We'll stick here and within that sacred, we will be creative, but we will not compromise anything of the word of God to move in any direction that would that would somehow harm our relationship with God or or not glorify God or praise him with what we do. This is important stuff. I, I don't claim to be a theological giant. I, 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 don't, I don't claim to, to, to be able to dissect things. And all. But I'll tell you something. The reality is, I know the word of God. I know what the word of God says. I know what God expects of us as a church. Who he wants us to be and how he wants us to live. And I know that by reading the word of God and studying the word of God and trying to trying to take the passion that I have about the word and applying it to our lives. But it has to be the body of Christ doing this together or this is. This is this is this is real. This is important. This is life. This is life. This is our whole life that Peter's talking about. He said, you need to grow up. You need to grow up in your salvation. You need to be born again. You need to live that way in such a way that that Christ is your greatest treasure and nothing is more important than him. Nothing is more important than him. Students, love you guys with all my heart. But you know what? It's time for you to grow up. It's time for you to own you, I don't know, junior high, high school, whatever, younger. It's time for you to read the word of God on your own and live a life to set, be set apart for God 
and not have to have your mom or your dad tell you and encourage you and push you to come to church or read your Bible or anything else spiritual. It's, let me ask you a question for you. Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Are you a Christian? You probably say yes. Did you ask Jesus Christ to come into your heart? You're going to say yes if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. I asked Christ to come into my heart. Okay. Do you still need your mommy to feed you in the morning? Do you need mommy to get a spoon and put it in your mouth? Do you sit in a high chair still? You high schoolers, you sit in high chairs? Do you need mommy to dress you in the morning? Does mommy dress you in the morning? My wife dressed me in the morning most of the time. But no, that's beside the point. <laughs> the answer is no. You need to own your own faith. Okay, it's your faith. Whose faith is it? It's your faith in Jesus Christ. You ask Christ to come into your life. Why do you need your mommy or daddy to tell you to do something that belongs to you? You're old enough to own your own faith. You're old enough to live out your faith in Jesus Christ on your own. It's your faith. Sometimes it's maybe it's time for you to set an example for your parents. Ever think of that? It doesn't matter. Maybe your parents aren't living the kind of life they should be living according to the word of God. It doesn't give you the right in your relationship with Christ to follow them. You should lead them. You should encourage them. You should be so set apart in your house that your brothers and your sisters and your mom and your dad and those around you want to be more like you. This is your faith. You own your faith. Your faith belongs to you. In Psalm 34, verse 8, it says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. God expects his people. God expects his people to live up to what he has called us to be. And it's my prayer for each one of us that we would be the kind of people who would truly long for the word of God in our lives. Father, I just pray. I know I've gone long. I didn't even notice it. I got lost. I just pray, dear God, that you would help us to leave this place with a passion for you, on fire for you, and want to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. I wasn't even watching.